Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Remember to subscribe to our free podcast so you won't miss any of our illuminating content. Here is episode 218. If you live a fairly modern lifestyle, there are all kinds of things that you're not thinking about that are affecting your brain in a negative way. Benjamin Franklin once said, Do not curse the darkness, rather light a candle instead. If you're ready to set your mind on fire, then prepare yourself for the Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's fire starter is Jenny Aguilar. Jenny has a BA in infant human development and a master's in health education and is a certified brain fitness coach. She's worked with hundreds of private clients and has a book coming out in February 2018 on brain health. It's called The Primal Brain Solution. Welcome, Jenny. Hi, thank you for having me today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Brain health is kind of one of my new interests. Nice. So I'm, I'm really excited to learn more about your work. But before we get into any of that, can you please tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, I have a very large family. So I have four children and they <laughs> are age 24, 21, 16 and 12. And I have one grandbaby who is seven months oh, old. That's awesome. Yeah. And um, I actually am homeschooling my two youngest. So those are my two boys. Um, They're 12 and 16, 7th grade and 10th grade. And we live in California. And I'm married to John, who's a stonesmith. Um, He builds stone for a living. And I don't have a lot of time for hobbies. Um, (laughs) Your business is probably your hobby, right? (laughs) right? I, I do a lot of yoga. That's pretty much the only thing. And besides that, I spend a lot of time uh, writing and blogging and doing my podcast and working with clients, you know, mostly part time because I do have a big family and a lot of uh, commitments there. But yeah, that's a little bit about me. That's awesome. Well, like I said, my brain health is kind of my new interest. I'm going to give you a little bit of background just and then we'll kind of work into that. So my son, um, we actually had a car accident and there was a rollover and he ended up with a concussion. And I noticed Mm -hmm. like he changed a ton after that, you know, like. I could tell like the brain was really affected. But then I also had some severe depression, like I was having suicidal thoughts and all this stuff. And it really came down to like me not taking care of my brain. And Mm -hmm. it started to turn on me. (laughs) So those are kind of some that's why I'm so passionate about brain health. I think that I we just ignore it way too much. You know, it's and we worry about our bodies and all that. But we don't really think about sometimes we have to do something different. So just maybe give us some background into why, you know, you've began this message with the you know, what's the message behind that? Yeah. And in fact, you know, your interest and my interest come from exactly the same reason. And we are not alone. About every 12 seconds, someone injures their brain in this country. So we have millions and millions of new brain injuries every year. So my son um, of the four, my now 16 year old suffered three traumatic brain injuries over the course of two years. Wow. Yeah. Starting in sixth grade. 
And this obviously is a problem. Yes, he does wear a helmet. No, he is not reckless. People ask me all the time, like, what happened? You know, it was like these really simple, small things. So he was wrestling with dad in the living room and just fell awkwardly, had a very mild concussion, seemed to recover quickly from that, but unfortunately crashed his bike within a few weeks of that first concussion and a subsequent concussion is not a good thing to get right after you've had one. Yeah. And also getting one concussion makes you far more likely to get another one because oftentimes, even though you might be feeling pretty normal, um, sometimes your vestibular system or your balance can be slightly off and you don't really know. So that second concussion, he ended up getting what's called post-concussion syndrome. So this is where those symptoms, whatever they are, and they're different for everybody, just go on and on. And essentially, they're not healing. And that made no sense to me because, you know, we live a really healthy lifestyle. I have these really healthy kids. You know, we all exercise and we spend a lot of time outside and we don't do a lot of screen time and we eat a really great diet. And it didn't make any sense to me. He was not coming around from this, but it was, you know, seven to 10 months of him feeling like you felt actually, which is my happy go lucky kid was very depressed. He headaches. He was sensitive to light, Mm -hmm. sensitive to noise, sensitive to movement. Um, So he left school. He had to, and that's actually why we homeschool today although we kept with it, even though it's not necessary at this point. So it was really interesting for me at the time, I worked full time and I was getting my PhD in health education. And I quit all of that to essentially take care of him and try to figure out what was going on. But I left my research accounts open. And I just pretended like I was going to get a PhD in what's going on with my kid's brain. And that's what I did. And we just started experimenting and learning and it was kind of a long process, but we were able to turn him around and he healed really well. He was doing really well and he had a subsequent bike accident that um, gave him the worst brain injury he had had. Uh, That was a bleed on the brain and required a life flight and it was pretty serious and scary. And in that moment when that happened, I could not believe it. I mean, as a parent, you're just like, this can't be real. This can't be happening. You know, I was just so angry about it, which is, I know, an odd reaction. And I just decided, I'm like, no, we're not going through that again. We are not going through it. So I knew a lot already, but I sort of dug my heels in even deeper. And we, I mean, almost immediately, even in the ambulance ride to the hospital, started in on, this is what we're going to do. This is the path out. And that was a little over two years ago. So he is a part-time enrolled in college. He actually does a dual enrollment program. So he does his homeschooling at a college, which is great. It's one of those things where they get college and high school credit. He's been pulling A's and does all his own work. He's really got almost no symptoms. Every once in a while, there's small things that come up, but uh, we do dietary things, lifestyle adjustments. You know, he's, he's very much in charge of his brain health and pays attention to it. So that's my why. That's how I got into this and how I got here. That's awesome. Well, and I really think like, you know, I'd go to the doctor about I'm like, something's wrong with him. And of course, they just want to put you on an antidepressant. But I really think it was the the brain, like, you know, there's so much uh, traumatic stuff going on with that. And the doctor was like, well, it couldn't have been that bad because, you know, there was no vomiting or there was no, because it was supposed to be a mild concussion. (laughs) There is no such thing. There's no such thing as a mild concussion or like these gradients that 
they used to give head injuries, they can't because there is a zero ability to predict based on the injury. Like for instance, some people will get a grievous head injury and recover just fine. Like you would think they would die. I mean, I have a friend who should have died most likely from his head injury, but did not and had the most amazing recovery. And then you have some kids who have the most mild, what appears to be mild without the vomiting, without passing out, that kind of thing, concussion. And then their small symptoms that are pretty debilitating will go on and on. And there is not a standard procedure within the Western medical model for really investigating the brain. And the reason is because there is no cure for TBI or concussion. There really essentially is no real treatment. You can go to the doctor and they will offer antidepressants, anti-anxiety, physical therapy, anti-inflammatories, you know, that kind of stuff. But there really is, there's no cure and there's not even good diagnostic tools. So people think, oh, if I have a concussion, they can do an MRI and see it. But that's not true. They're looking for like a bleed on the brain, which you can see with our current diagnostic tools. So it's, it's interesting with all our technology and all our you know, forward thinking, so many things that we can do really well. This is one area that um, needs some desperate attention. Yeah. Well, and like I talked about, I mean, I, I don't think I had a brain injury, but it, just the overall health of your brain affects so mm -hmm. many things, you know, outside of outside of what you would normally think. And so that's what as soon as yeah. I started taking care of my brain, my depression and stuff went away. And so maybe we could kind of go into that. Like, you know, as you we were, should, yes. yeah, as you were helping your son try to heal from this brain injury, I mean, what's some things that we can do to create a healthy brain and help recover from some of those things? Well, the very first thing is to understand that if you live a fairly modern lifestyle, there are all kinds of things that you're not thinking about that are affecting your brain in a negative way, which is really unfortunate, but the brain just hasn't been taken into account into <laughs> all of these systems that we've built. So let's take one really simple one, and I think something people are starting to hear more and more about, which is the light that emanates from your phone screen, computer screen, TV screen. This is commonly referred to as blue light because that's the spectrum of light that comes out of these devices. It's in, it's in the blue spectrum. So when you're outside in the middle of the day in bright sunlight, that has lots of parts of the light spectrum. So yellow, red, blue, green, but there's a lot of blue and green light in bright daytime sunlight. And what's interesting is that our body, so our brain and our eyes are so light sensitive and so dependent on light for basically information about what's going on in your environment, that if you overexpose to blue light on screens, your brain is like, oh, that's daylight. And it suppresses the production of, let's say, one hormone. It suppresses other things too, but one hormone everyone's familiar with, which is melatonin. And this hormone does a lot of things in the body and the brain besides help us go to sleep, but it is really important to the sleep cycle. So if you are in your bed and you have your phone next to you and it's 11 p.m. and you've been scrolling through Instagram and Facebook or whatever, and you don't have a filter on your phone uh, because there are these filters you can put on these devices, you're exposed to all this blue light. So you put it all down and you think you're sleepy and then you don't sleep because it takes your brain a few hours to go, oh, it's dark enough. I guess it's dark, it's nighttime, let's produce melatonin, let's go to sleep. And when you throw off your circadian rhythm, which is daytime, nighttime, sleep when it's dark or awake when it's light, that actually affects 
the whole cascade of hormones throughout the body. And so you can have not just that you're not sleeping well, but you're not producing hormones at the right time, which can lead to depression, anxiety, uh, waking is really common. Um, so it's these common things that people are like, oh, I need to diet and exercise more. But actually, one of those things you should consider is you probably need to clean up your sleep habits. And when you clean those up, you will naturally make less cortisol and you won't be setting aside all this fat for an emergency, which is what your brain thinks you need to do. Wow. Yeah. So that's just one thing. There are other things too, like we often operate with a tremendous amount of stress um, with no break. So I call that toxic stress. Like temporary stressors can be great for your brain, like a challenge of learning a new language. This is that's a good stressor. You want to do that. Learning anything is usually really great for your brain. But let's say you have the ongoing toxic stress of like having a really horrible boss or uh, a marriage that's really unhealthy or conflict with your children all the time. And these stressors never resolve. That's actually really bad for your brain. Um, so that's another thing that, that people generally think, oh, you know, life's just stressful. I'm just busy all the time. And let's just, I'll name one more because there's so many. But another one people don't think about is silence. Uh, we live in a very noisy world. And there's quite a bit of interesting research that even a few minutes of silence can be really rejuvenating for the brain and is actually necessary. So if you constantly are around, especially if you live in a city, a lot of ambient noise, um, but even for me, like I live in a big family, right? So there is de definitely a lot of noise, a lot of activity, a lot of people wanting my attention. So I know that I need to, you know, walk away and take like short walks just for the quiet, just to hear the birds sing and, and take five minutes in between doing things to kind of reset my brain to sort of a lower tempo. So that's just a few of the lifestyle things you can get into. I didn't even touch on diet, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that that makes a big difference, too. I mean, the, the things that you're doing and maybe some supplements that you can take to help with mm -hmm. your brain health as well. Within diet and supplements, there's so much you can and actually, you know, in some ways you, you have to do. Yeah. And so definitely, you know, in my book and on my blog, we get into critical nutrients for the brain and, you know, things you you know probably should or shouldn't do. But also there's a lot of really wonderful supplements that have good research behind them um, that are helpful to the brain. So, uh, you know, like lion's mane mushroom is an edible mushroom you can buy in some like specialty grocery stores, but it helps produce nerve growth factor in the brain. It's really powerful. Wow. And uh, yeah, you can buy it and take it. And most people who do will say their brain fog clears up somewhat um, or that they have just more steady energy, like brain energy. And they're not as reliant on caffeine. So that's a really great, you know, product that you can try. But there's N-acetylcysteine. And I mean, actually, there's a long, long list of different products that do different things to the brain or for the brain. Well, and that's exactly, I mean, uh, hopefully we'll get into that as we talk about your blog. But um, I kind of want to go back to like maybe how looking at our heritage, you know, as we mm. look back to that, because obviously the primal brain right? <laughs> is part of we're, we're moving into that. You know, how are we getting it wrong with our health advice? I, I would think that one of them, this was when you were talking about um, how we needed rest and silence. That's one I think that we are ex we are totally wrong on, especially with young kids, is that we yeah. think the more that we can, you know, the younger we can teach them to read and, and we're always keeping them busy with all of this stuff, but they're really not learning anymore because their brain needs time to 
tired. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's tired and it can't absorb like it needs that downtime to be able to absorb information before it can boot up again. Is that correct? I mean, let's talk oh, about absolutely. maybe how we're getting it wrong with a lot of our health advice. Yeah. So I think the thing for me, the way I look at it is you can't separate like brain health from the rest of your health, right? And you can't separate like your health from your intellectual life. Because if you're not healthy, and let's say you have that 3pm crash every day, because um, your diet is not supportive to making real energy, then, you know, you're going to have reductions in productivity, let's say, or the inability to focus, which is really common in children these days. So it's interesting to look at that and say that culturally, we make decisions all the time. Like we've made this decision that being busy is honorable. And we've made this decision that um, exposure to ki for kids to new things and lots of activities is good for them. And I think that started off as like, that's a good thing, right? That we want to get our kids out there and expose them to languages or different sports activities or, you know, the the Lego robotics clubs. And, you know, there's all those things are really wonderful exposures. But we forget that this is a developing human being, that their brain is going a thousand miles an hour anyway, just trying to grow, you know, yeah. <laughs> especially if they're really little. And that the brain really does require deep periods of rest, um, especially for children, sleep. I uh, just constantly. So one thing we didn't talk about, I should go back just a little bit. Prior to getting into this and doing my PhD even, um, I was a community health educator and a parent coach. So I have quite a bit of training and experience in working with families through the community and groups doing nutrition education, but also I did the intensive like home visitation programs for children who are at risk. So I've been doing that sort of education for a long time. And it is shocking to me sometimes how little people value sleep for young people whose bones are growing, whose yeah. organs are still growing, whose brains are growing, that the sleep is where the brain does all of its housekeeping. So essentially does a kind of a cleaning program while you're asleep, which is really critical to brain health. And then also brain growth, you know, the brain growth factor is really released during the nighttime. And those things are so critical to kids. So there's this nice balance in exposing them to things that are interesting and challenging, which makes a kid who's smarter, who's more capable, who, you know, gets these lovely privileges, essentially, to to learn more than like in the past, just what their dad did, you know, yeah. it's great because they have these choices. I mean, my kids, too. But when all the kids were younger and at home, we made a rule they could do one thing at a time. So that could be lacrosse chess club, whatever, but it was one thing at a time because there was logistical issues having four kids. Yeah. And there was also just, the, you know, the fact of like, you have to rest and you have to be able to have time to do your studies and you have to have time to have fun and do nothing. Also, that's important too. just run around and go run down to the beach and go boogie boarding and, and to not be on the clock all the time. Like, Oh, I have to finish this and then do this and then do that. So that's something we've worked really hard on just in our family. And I've definitely in the past coached a lot of parents on um, trying to get that balance right. Yeah. And well, like you said, the sleep, I mean, I'll be at the the store way later than I even want to be there, you know, 10 or 11. And there's some kid that's just crying. And I'm just like, yeah. what are they doing in the store at 10 or 11 o'clock? Well, anyway. you have parents who like both work and yeah. this nighttime is the only time they're seeing their child. 
And I mean, you have a, a lot of pressures on families because, you know, we don't necessarily live in that, like the healthiest social environment and everyone's under a great deal of pressure. And so I always have a lot of compassion, but just try to, you know, help people to figure out their particular situation and how they can just make it healthier, even if it's just one step and then another step and, and then grow from there. Yeah. Well, and I kind of want to talk about, you know, what exactly does a brain coach do? And maybe what are some common struggles that you help people through as a brain coach? So I generally get two kinds of clients and nobody in the middle. So I get people who have active brain injury or past brain injury and they need help healing. Like uh, they need help basically dealing with symptoms of which, you know, if you had a son who had a concussion, those symptoms can show up one way and six months later be different, but they might be persistent. And so I'll help those people. And then the other handful of people that I coach are people who are really after like their highest possible self. So maybe they have a startup or they're an athlete and they want to essentially try to achieve, you know, perfection or some high goal and they need, you know, like ultimate brain clarity. So those people I might call like brain hackers or biohackers who, who really want to get an edge. Um, so it's interesting dealing with those. And what's funny is it's exactly all the same stuff. <laughs> so it kind of doesn't matter. So coaching people, it's a lot about listening and really trying to find out with that person what is going on in their life individually. Um, I do listen to, you know, symptoms or perceived problems, but oftentimes those all lead back to the same issue, which is we have a high inflammation culture. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes what you have is just persistent inflammation in the body. And if it's in the body, it's in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And people just don't, they just, there still is a sort of old paradigm that your brain is sort of off to the side. It's separate from the rest of you. But the truth is it's just an organ. Like the rest of your body has all these organs, right? It's still just an organ and it needs certain things. And that, so that's the primal part of the primal brain, or let's say evolutionary or ancestral. So I view it that way because human beings are a thing. And we require, like, for instance, sleeping at night. We are not a nocturnal animal. We (laughs) don't do well when we act nocturnally, which is funny because we have, you know, consciousness and will. So we can override our, some of the basic things that we need. We can override that and say, no, I I can work the night shift. Like, well, you can, you can make yourself work the night shift. But consistently research has shown that if you do that, you will pay the price because the human being is not built to stay up all night and work. So thus this need for sleep and a dark room when you sleep and not overloading yourself with blue light. Wow. So that's, that's one of the things. So with, for many, many people, almost consistently across the board, it is controlling screen use would be one thing because that's just rampant and out of control. Um, and just because you can access the internet all the time doesn't mean you should. (laughs) (laughs) So that's definitely one thing I work with people all the time. I'd say the second thing that is almost always up in the air we work on is diet nutrition. Wow. Well, and I'd I'd love to get back into inflammation too. That's actually Mm -hmm. one thing I know, you know, I've, I've been having like these chronic sinus problems and I finally like, maybe it's inflammation, you know, cause you do hear a lot about like, like, like if you're struggling somewhere in your body, most likely just being able to figure out how to 
you know, get rid of that inflammation helps somehow. And, and mm-hmm. I have heard like, usually the things about taking care of your heart are the same for your brain, you know, like, right. we, we need some fats, and we need, you mm-hmm. know, some some of those things. So I'd love to get more back into diet. But before we do that, <laughs> let's, fine. let's, I, I want to hear how you feel like your overall paradigm changed over time and with experience as you know, I mean, going from the beginning, oh, wow. working with your son to <laughs> what you're doing now. That's a really interesting question. I mean, I suppose it depends on where you start in my life. I think if you started early enough, I used to think there was definitely the right answer for something, for everything, right? That there was for some everyone. perfect, like, yeah, there was, yeah, that there was some right answer and I could find it. And I still somewhat operate off of that. But really what I operate off of is this question I ask myself all the time, which is what if I'm wrong? What if I'm looking at the wrong thing? And the reason that that has become my overarching question is because you got like your experience at the doctor with your son's concussion. So for instance, that guy, uh, he might be a perfectly nice, wonderful person. He's just not aware, but he's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't know that, but he's wrong. And I've been wrong many, many times. Um, And now that I've worked with many people, I know for certain that people do not understand what the human body and brain really needs that it seems to be a lost knowledge. And so it's sort of this keeping things really simple, understanding that I'm going to be wrong about things. And then as soon as I figure out what I'm wrong about to pivot and change and accept that new information and move forward and to yeah. be very flexible and that the answer for one person is different for another person. Um, so like I found with female clients, oftentimes alleviating emotional stress does a lot for their general health, especially for brain symptoms. So it's interesting with men found different uh, buttons to press essentially that work better. But over time, what I find out is that even the smartest people are wrong. Or uh, like Chris Kresser, who's one of my favorite, he's a doctor who has a really wonderful um, website if you ever want to go and look up pretty much anything. He, he's really great. And one of the things he says is we're not looking and that this is one of the problems with modern medicine is that we're just not looking. So I had a client and friend of mine actually had a grievous head injury when she was 16 and women's um, head injury symptoms often show up later and persist longer uh, than men's. And she had deep depression and some other physical symptoms, headaches and really common things you would get after a brain injury. And she was told multiple times that it was just her hormones, which no one had tested, uh, that she just needed to go on antidepressants. Um, Essentially, she was kind of blown off. And she is a smart lady. And she kept saying, I'm pretty sure this is related to my brain injury. This wasn't me before that. And there was this thing of like, well, no, I mean, that was a while ago. But that's just a lack of understanding, you know, how long the brain can suffer without some active treatment to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it takes longer sometimes for, I mean, you just, maybe not, maybe it depends on the person, but that's what I found too, is that, I mean, head injuries, it can take you over a year or even longer to get over that. Is that correct? Like it's not. That's totally correct. And sometimes I talk to people and it's 15 years and they've had all the wrong treatments and nobody looking at the original head injury and going, you just never recovered from that. Your brain is um, essentially overexcited all the time. So its immune system is switched on all the time, which you don't want. And this persistent inflammation. 
And once you get a hold of that, then suddenly symptoms dial down after 15 years and you're like, oh, you know, <laughs> this drug and that drug and this thing that were all like the wrong approach. Essentially, they weren't looking. And yeah. so because of that learning in that area of my life, I've applied that to many areas of my life where I start saying, okay, in this situation, this thing's not working. Or like, for instance, um, you know, like my youngest son doesn't always love doing his schoolwork. And so my thing is just a standard approach is like, well, he just needs to do it. And this is what he's got to accomplish, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not looking at what's the reason why, because he likes learning. He, he's very creative, super artistic kid. So he's really motivated. He does his own projects all the time. So I sat down and spent some time and figured out what is the lack of motivation here? What is it that's not engaging to you? And what it turned out was he just at 12 did not see the reason he needed to learn these things, which is a super common thing for middle schoolers. Be like, well, why? What am I going to use this for? And so as soon as we start using like real mode, like, no, you will use this when you're an adult and you do X, Y, and Z. And this one you'll use because, and this one gives you a schema for why the United States is the way it is now. And don't you want to know that instead of being ignorant of it? And as soon as he had that interior motivation, no problems. But I had to, I'd look in the right spot. So I've just become a lot more curious and I've assumed that everyone, even the smartest people I know, and including myself, will be wrong about something some of the time. And it's best if we just admit that and take the better information and move forward with that. Before we go on, please listen to this message. If you enjoy this content, you can help us with as little or as much as you'd like over at patreon.com backslash the luminous mind. These funds help us to continue to produce illuminating content with needed equipment and resources to spread the message of changing the paradigm of education. We appreciate all the ways our listeners help us continue this effort through patreon.com backslash the luminous mind by expanding exclusive content giving away gifts and giving patrons first seen products on patreon.com backslash the luminous mind. with brain fitness. I love the idea of questioning it, you know, question everybody who who brings up a, a topic. I just kept feeling like with my son, he kept, you know, the doctor kept telling me, well, it's, it's not a big deal. And, you know, oh, yeah, that every time I'd bring it up, like, well, he had this brain injury, you know, is that part of it? You know, he would kind of like shrug that off type of thing. And I think yep. um, just trusting that instinct, I think I was right, <laughs> you know, and especially yeah. like in my uh, situation, luckily I went to a different doctor for myself for the depression. And he's like, you are just, you are kind of malnourished in that way. And then as soon as I started 
doing the right things for my brain, all of a sudden stuff like that cleared up. I just think it's so important, like trust the instincts, but then also yes. not necessarily like believe everything, you know, that's ever right. told to you. To have to be. Well, so, and that's one that's of our problems too, that isn't good for the brain is that many of us, and especially because we spend a lot of time uh, interacting with the internet. So it's a blessing and a curse that overwhelm of information is not good for us. And it makes it very hard to make good decisions. And essentially, if you've ever been online ever and watched like a, an argument you know, <laughs> go forward. It's very interesting because people will be pulling out research from this and from that. And and what I found is that I think people feel very unsure about what to do because they're overwhelmed with evidence that might play on both sides of a topic. You know, like chocolate's good for you. No, chocolate's not good for you. Yeah. And which one is it? You know, and yeah. would say, well, it probably depends on who you are. <laughs> and then I go back to this and this is a primal thing like when you eat chocolate how do you feel and it's interesting because there's all this external validation people are so this is in some ways very much the core of everything I've ever taught ever which is that and what you're saying is that intuition especially as a parent which will be very strong I think if you love your child and you're standing yeah. in a doctor's room and they say the wrong thing and you know it's not true you will immediately just be like no that's not what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've met way too many moms. No, that's a really strong drive. And that was me too. I was, you know, meet with a doctor who cleared him to go back to school. And I was like, he can't sit in a brightly lit room for an hour. He gets nauseous and will throw up and you're going to clear him to go to school. Wow. And he goes, well, I don't really know what else to do. I'm like, well, thank you for being honest at least, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I appreciate that. You don't know what else to do. There's nothing else for you to do. So I'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> So as a mom, protect yourself like that for sure. Yeah. yeah, and definitely think through it. But I think one of those things is to to go back to, this is one of the things I, I taught our son, Aiden, is, okay, so he's really gotten into gymnastics, which, you know, for a person with a past brain injury, that he's doing a lot of flips, going upside down, landing hard, you know, he's very active. And he loves doing that. And every once in a while, if he overworks for that week, he might get a few symptoms like some fatigue, that kind of a thing. And so I always ask him, where's this, you know, how do you feel? How does that make you feel, you know, when you're done with that? Or he's, he's really good at changing his diet, depending on his symptoms and how he's feeling. That's awesome. And, yeah, which is great. I mean, what a great skill to have at 16 that you can carry forward, you know, forever. And so if he gets any type of brain symptoms, feels a little foggy or whatever, he always dials back towards a low carb, high fat or the nutritional ketosis, which is very supportive for brain health. Although that's not for everybody, um, and you definitely need to look into that. There's a big bandwagon on the whole ketosis thing right yeah, now. Uh, yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely a fad, but it also just because it's a fad doesn't mean it's not useful. It's very useful for brain health. Yeah, that's awesome. But, yeah, he'll dial right back to that for symptoms, and then as he's feeling better, he'll go back to sort of eating his regular, regular diet, and he just flows with how he feels and what he's feeling internally. I hope as we move forward with our our families and stuff that we teach our children to be mindful of those. Like, I love that. The idea of like, look inside yourself and see how you're feeling. Because so many times we, I mean, at least my generation, we were taught to pretty much ignore anything that was going on with ourselves, you know, and right. just push through it type of thing. But sometimes well, don't you think with our kids, they're going to be contending with even more external pressure from, let's say, just the AI devices that will be oh, in their yeah. homes, right? Yeah. Determining for them 
the temperature of the room or, you know, when they need to order water or whatever. And so this, this ability to internally pay attention to what's going on with your physical, biological body and your own emotions, you know, and your own thoughts about things is so critical. To me, that's part of critical thinking yeah. is self-reflection, this mindfulness. That's awesome. Well, let's get back to your book. We've touched on it a little bit, but do you want to talk about, you know, maybe the inspiration behind why you wrote that and maybe some key points that you'll find in there? Sure. So I wrote the Primal Brain Solution. It started off as just me keeping notes uh, about what we did with Aiden and what worked, what didn't, you know, sort of keeping track of that. And then I had people ask me for the notes and I would just hand them out. And then they grew and then it started going beyond uh, me just studying things. It, like there's many, many things you can do for the brain that we didn't do where we didn't have to do, which was great, you know. Um, but other people would talk to me and be like, oh, I did this kind of therapy or that kind of thing. And it really worked for me. And I would just throw that on my list and say, hey, you know, this other parent told me this was great. And then I would research it. So most everything in the book has some legitimate research behind it. I tried to stay away from things that I am unsure about. As, as far as have they ever really been looked at subjectively or objectively, not subjectively. But I, I don't stay away from anecdotal evidence, too. You know, one of the primary concepts in the book is that you need to get outside and interact with nature, that this is critical to the human body. And luckily, while I was writing it, some great research came out, mm -hmm. but I would have left it in there anyway, because this was actually how I came up with the book, is that when Aiden had post-concussion syndrome, he got a scholarship to go to a wilderness camp every Friday. And he would be outside for seven hours every day, you know, rain, shine, whatever. And this was a kid who was not going to school, had multiple, multiple symptoms every day. And when he went to that wilderness class and was outside every day, he basically didn't have any symptoms. He basically felt normal. Yeah. And at first I didn't question that. I was just like, that's great. It was just like a relief, you know? And so what we started doing when he felt particularly bad is we would take, we have these little canvas pop-ups for the beach and we would go out to the beach and we'd be like, all right, let's just bring some food. We'll just go hang out at the beach until you feel better. And then we would go and hang out. I live near a really beautiful forested park. And sometimes we would just slowly walk through there and like maybe mushroom hunt or look for birds or, you know, something really simple. And, Every single time it was beneficial. Yeah. And yeah. I, I watched a video recently on grounding yourself. I don't know if you <laughs> like how good it is to just get outside and walk around on the ground barefoot, you know, of how that helps our like a lot with our emotions and grounding our body. It kind of sounds like the same. Is that kind of where you're going with that? Like, I mean, that's definitely part of it. Part of it is just that I personally think, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like people with head injury are a little bit like a canary in the coal mine. They seem more sensitive to the modern environment than other people. At least the clients I've worked with are definitely that way. Mm -hmm. And so you have to moderate their environment more. And my personal theory that could be wrong, but this is what I think, is that the modern environment is quite toxic to the brain and that people with head injury are more sensitive to it. So they're sort of telling you. So one of the things we did was many of our walks through that park were barefoot. Um, we would spend time swimming in the ocean because you're barefoot and grounded. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then yeah, anything the, that like connects yeah. you to the natural world type of thing. Like, right. Yeah. Because there's all these things there that you need from the ions in the air to the, you know, 
the photons coming from the sun. Yeah, you know, there's all these things that are just normal that the human body evolved to need. And it, people are spending more time inside than ever. Uh, it's amazing. And so the more t- more we did that, the healthier my kid became. And then I started experimenting just with the family. And we started like turning off the Wi-Fi at night, which we still do. It's completely gone, totally unplugged at night. And we don't have any screens or any electronic devices in any bedroom. Do you have a certain time that you shut it off or what's the... It depends on who's doing what, just with a big family. So generally sometime around bedtime, which, you know, for everyone right now is by 10 o'clock usually. Okay. But we sort of just ask, like, who's who's using what? So if, like, you know, my daughter and her husband, the baby's asleep, maybe they're sneaking in a movie, you know, always ask them. <laughs> and, then, and then when they're done, they'll go down and unplug it, you know. But, yeah, it gets everyone's in the habit. It's just a habit we created, and it's unplugged every single night. Um, and then keeping the devices away from sleeping areas and – uh, just there's some awareness around that. We definitely like my job and everything I do is on a computer and on the yeah, internet, it's right? Hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, John is the lucky one, my husband, because he does do like his office work, his phone calls and on the computer, but his work work is outside. So he's outside building things, you know, for most <laughs> of his life, which maybe, you know, he is spectacularly healthy. So that could be one reason why, but <laughs> not sure. But yeah, so in the, interacting with all those natural materials all the time. Yeah, all the sure. time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in the book, you'll find this sort of premise, which is that your brain is an organ and that organ needs certain things. And the, the certain things are really critical. They're not like, oh, maybe I need them or maybe I don't, or maybe I could go without sleep or maybe I can't. It's not like that. These are like, and I just boil it down to the basics because, you know, there's all kinds of lifestyles you can live that are healthy. And, uh, you know, I don't want to proscribe to people that they have to eat a certain way or they have to, you know, have this certain lifestyle that's a, you know, it's not like a Luddite lifestyle. Like you can never use electronics or you have to be vegan or, you know, I don't, I really don't believe in that sort of thinking at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm very flexible myself um, and with myself as well, depending on what's going on in my life. And so within the book, I sort of give that premise and then here's the basics that your brain really, really needs these things. And, you know, it depends on whether you're working on trying to reduce symptoms or increase function or if you're trying to avoid the all too common brain diseases that are just growing and growing and yeah, growing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I actually had heard that Alzheimer's is it's a lot to do with our environment, but it, mm-hmm. they're almost tying it to diabetes now, like it's I, diabetes of the brain type of thing. Right. It's so. essentially I think they're going to start calling it diabetes three. And yeah. that has to do with the very terrible path that we took in lowering fat and increasing sugar and refined carbohydrates. Yeah. yeah. And what a terrible trade that was, especially for the brain. Well, I'd love to hear, we've talked about your blog a little bit, but what you'd find on your website. And then also you just started a podcast, you know, how is that helping to serve people? Okay. So I have, I have two different websites. Um, I have the primalbrain.net and you'll find the blog, my blog there on the brain and anything having to do with brain stuff, brain health. And it sometimes is, I like to get people's stories uh, who've recovered from brain injury or brain problems. And then also just practical things like how good relationships that are healthy, help your brain health or taking lion's mane or what other herbs and supplements are out there. So sometimes it'll be just practical stuff. Sometimes it's more like a story that might help people relate 
in terms of their own, because so many people have brain dysfunction and it's, it's not like it's some uncommon thing. Yeah. So that, it shows yeah. up in weird places. I mean, you, you may not even guess that that's the problem. <laughs> that's exactly. The thing. That's one of the problems is I'm trying to highlight and bring some awareness to many times these things you're like, uh, there's been that big fad about, you know, like adrenal, you know, dysfunction and they, Oh, your adrenals are burned out and you need to take these herbs to help your adrenals. And I'm like, well, you know, follow that system all the way back and guess where that starts? Well, it starts in the brain. And if you start with brain health, you can oftentimes avoid a lot of other guesswork. And also, like, your brain is the one organ, I mean, heart, lungs, et cetera, et cetera, but your brain runs everything, everything. And so you might as well start with, with the big boss, yeah, right? <laughs> start with the big boss, then work your way out. Definitely. So on my, that's that website and that's where the primal brain information, when we launch the book, that'll be there. The podcast is there. So I also have the primal brain podcast and that's brand new. I think we have four or five episodes out and we've been working on that. Um, just again, highlighting this awareness, um, bringing stories, answering people's questions. So, uh, my last podcast, I answered a listener question about waking up in the middle of the night with a racing mind and that type of insomnia, which oh, is very I'm going to have to totally listen to your podcast. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah, that's very common with women. Very common. Oh, um, and the, the, yeah, the listener who asked the question was a woman and, uh, you know, that's, it's very, very common problem is, you know, the 4am waking up and boom, it's a list and your mind's going crazy. And yeah, so that was the last one we did. But sometimes again, it's sort of like the blog, it'll be people's stories, answering people's questions, or just real practical information. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm going to check it out. Like I said, I have this new fascination for the brain. I think once you take care of that, you solve so many other problems. Like you said, go really back do. to the go back to the source. <laughs> yeah, I really do. And, uh, you know, it's one of those interesting things is that, you know, your brain is connected to all these other systems. So like if you're working on your gut health, like I have celiacs. And so for years, I've worked on my gut health It's really important for me to kind of recover my digestion and heal that whole system. And it's so interesting because it had such an enormous impact on my brain because there's this thing called the gut-brain axis. And so those bacteria that live down in your gut are actually talking to your brain and, and vice versa. So when you get a brain injury, it actually disrupts the bacteria balance in the gut. And if you disrupt the bacteria imbalance in the gut, it also affects brain function. Wow. So that's, yeah, it's a whole nother aspect uh, of the brain that we need to pay attention to. And uh, yeah, there's sort of endlessly interesting things about health and the brain. And there's so much new information coming out. And now there's all these new, you know, biohacking tests that you can buy. You can get your biome, your gut biome sequenced and look at it. I don't know what you can do <laughs> once you've got that information, but... <laughs> You, know, you can pull your own hormone panels and, you know, there's so many interesting things I see people trying to do to um, put their health in their own hands, which I very much believe in. And I very much think is a path of empowerment and a path where you'll get the right answers because you're paying attention to yourself. And if you can combine that with this amazing ability to access all kinds of information, to talk to all kinds of people um, and combine like your own intuition, a little bit of knowledge about yourself, and then all this wonderful information. I think 
people are finding answers faster and better than ever before. Yeah. And that's unique to them. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. you go to a doctor and, um, you know, you've got these symptoms. And so you get lumped in with, you know, one type of person. I mean, I heard even like bringing up celiac disease that a lot of the the symptoms that we have is because in the United States, we have under, I don't know, diagnosed the problem with celiac disease, you know, and then yes. we have, I mean, that's, that's shooting off our whole gluten, you know, free kind of diet. But there is a lot of truth to that. And the fact that more people may be struggling personally with those types of things more than they know, you know. I'm- Definitely. I, I talked to an acquaintance of mine who asked for a little bit of help a few weeks ago, and this person has been diagnosed with IBS, so the irritable bowel syndrome, and has been actively taking medications or getting some different types of scans. And I said, did they test you for celiacs? And the answer was no. And I said, that's criminal. I'm sorry, but that's that's criminal. What? That's crazy because there's also all types of non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And again, it's a thing with ketosis, like people think it's a fad or it's not whatever, but there does seem to be this, you know, population-wide uh, level of sensitivity that cropped up from we don't know what. You know, that's yeah. the truth. We're not sure what the origin of this is. And I'm sure that we'll figure it out at some point. But still, many people actively have. So, for instance, if you're having that, like you have celiacs and it's undiagnosed and you're continuing to eat the grains that bother, that's a pretty serious issue because, you know, your intestines get damaged and you stop absorbing nutrients. And that's a big problem for your brain. Oh, yeah. Right. And yeah. I mean, people don't think about their digestion and their brain being connected um, or your vascular system and your brain, like the health of your vascular system being, you know, critical to brain health. But it's definitely all tied together. And yeah. you'll learn a lot if you want to take care of any system and kind of follow it back to its roots. You'll learn so much. And the other thing about all that is it's not that hard. Like, you don't have to be a neurologist or really understand all the inner workings of the brain to treat your brain right. Yeah. I think that's really key. You don't have to be super, super smart or some kind of scientist or know all this stuff about the brain to treat your brain well. And so that's a lot about the book. It, what's in my book, too, is like, let's just simplify this. If you do these five basic things and these seven basic things like you will have a healthier brain yeah. and then you can take it from there. Well, I think so many of us think that there's just a right or a perfect way to do it, that we're stressing ourselves out, which isn't helping, right? you know, a lot of things in that, in that way that we're not, you know, we're not That's getting true. it right type of thing. And so we cause this extra stress. But I want to hear maybe some personal habits in your personal life or, you know, that you think that people could implement to help with brain health. Well, okay, sure. Um, I spend a lot of time outside every day, even when it's not convenient. <laughs> so today I already did a, like a mini session of yoga just out in the sun on the, in the patio when I had, um, it was about 15 minute break. I make sure and take those breaks outside as much as I can. So that's one thing that's really simple is usually right before bed. I, I am fortunate to live near the beach right now. Um, and I've lived in the mountains before, and so I can walk down to the ocean. So oftentimes right before bed, I walk to the ocean almost every night. Yeah, and I do lots of mini walks. I do a lot of uh, the, my errands on my bike and instead of running around in the truck if I can help it. And that's one of those small habits I built up. I don't check my phone first thing in the morning. When I get up, I have water, and then I step outside and just, you know, feel like what's the weather and is the sun up and, you know hang out with my dog for a few minutes. And, you know, then I'll go make coffee and do all the things, you know, that are necessary. So that's, that's one habit is definitely spending a lot of time outside and trying to make our fun activities and those kind of things 
you know, hiking or surfing, boogie boarding, swimming, doing yoga outside, that kind of stuff. So that's and no matter where you live, I mean, I don't live in sunny California, so but it's really important to just get outside. I mean, I think that's such a great habit, no matter where you live, no matter where. And I just so everyone knows, I haven't always lived here and I didn't always have like the nice weather all the time. So I spent a lot of my life in Colorado and in Iowa and (laughs) I have pictures of myself, you know, I would get those little gaiters and put them on my boots and I would go take my walks outside anyway when it was icy and cold and if it was sunny enough in Colorado, even if it's snowy out, I could still do some yoga on the deck and I would pull my kettlebells and do those outside. And, you know, I didn't get as much time outside and that's okay. Um, you just do the best you can with where you are, but yeah. you know, any time added to that is always really, it's nice. Anyway, it makes you feel good. That's one thing. I think the most extreme thing that I do probably that might surprise people is I don't eat any sugar at all. Wow. Not even like a cheat meal? Like, nope. Oh, how? <laughs> I don't no. know. <laughs> I know. One, Everyone huh? <laughs> it's super extreme and that it's so hard and blah, blah. blah. And it, it's really interesting. Now, that doesn't, I do eat fruit. I do eat, you know, uh, sometimes I'll have oatmeal for breakfast. I, I'm not, I cycle in and out of doing any kind of low carb stuff. Um, I have a very healthy diet of sweet potatoes and cauliflower and you know, a lot of vegetables. I buy most of our meat from a local ranch here. I try to get things local and that I know how they're raised, including vegetables. So that's one thing, but I don't eat any refined sugar, maple syrup or honey. I don't have any additional sugar in my diet. So if I do eat any sugar, it's from apples or strawberries or, you know, potatoes kind of a thing. So that's how I do that. And I started that because um, we did do nutritional ketosis for Aiden's brain recovery at first. And that is not an easy diet to do, especially for a kid. So I did it with him just so he would have a partner. (laughs) And it was super interesting to do, but essentially I stopped eating sugar. I haven't eaten sugar for three and a half years. Wow. I don't crave it. I don't want it. And the few times I've accidentally had like a bite of somebody something, you know, that had some sugar in it. What's interesting is I can taste it and I definitely feel it. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't, I just don't need it. Do you and find it, it, it makes you sick? I mean, I, I have done like, you know, hiatuses of, of being off it for a sure. while. And when I go back on, like I'll get headaches, you know, I feel sick to my stomach. I mean, do you feel that way? Like you can actually feel it like that? Like it's. Definitely. There's been like two times where I've had a bite of somebody, something and it had, and I didn't think it was a big deal. I'm just, oh, I'll just, I'll try a bite or whatever. And it was immediately kind of a immediate headache feeling was, you know, for me, but that's not dissimilar to if I accidentally ate a bite of somebody's regular bread or, you know, cause I can't, I can't have those things. So yeah. I get a little bit of reaction. I'm not super reactive to it. And like I can eat, you know, a huge bowl of mashed potatoes, which has quite a few bit of carbohydrates as well and feel okay. It's not something I do regularly. I'm pretty keyed into like what my body needs right now, which does change all the time. So I'm pretty aware of that as well. I don't always eat the same thing all the time. Um, I'm not rigid about that, but just going without sugar, like I feel better. I always feel better. And I don't, what's weird is I don't want it. I, I don't crave it. I mean, if I get, you know, an Americano at Starbucks and they have that whole case full of just like, about the worst food. It's funny because I just look at them like that will make me feel so terrible. And I don't, I don't ever crave it. Um, and I think that's one thing just from being completely off of it is that that feeling that you want it just isn't there. 
which is handy. So it's not a matter of willpower. It's not like I'm special and I have all this willpower. That is not the case. The fact <laughs> is that I just, I don't want it. So that makes it very easy. But I definitely work with clients. If they have active brain symptoms, that's where we're going. We're going to no sugar and lower carbohydrates because the brain likes it and the brain responds well to that. Wow. So those are a couple of things they do in my life for me that work for me. And of course, I don't use that as a template. <laughs> it may not work for other people. Yeah. But the, I mean, there's a high percentage that I, I mean, especially the outside, you know, getting outside that helps. And then, yeah, sugar is like, like we talked about before. I mean, the third diabetes that's coming up is, you know, with the brain yeah. has to do with that. Yeah. For sure. Dysregulation of sugar. So there's this, you know, deep connection between how your body is handling sugar and what's going on in your brain. And because we've had this cultural problem of overeating simple sugars, we have a cultural problem of people getting diseases from that. So kids having fatty liver disease, which sounds like it's caused by alcohol, but it's caused by sugar. There's plenty of research you can look up and, and verify those things. But the even you know what I eat essentially is what humans ate for a really, really, really long time. So the sugars that would be available to you would have been basically through vegetables and fruit. And it's plenty. You don't need any more than yeah. that. And maybe every once in a while, you'd be lucky if you found some honey, you know, and you probably would have just macked it all and gotten drunk off of it the minute you found it, because it would have been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, what we talked about with the, the primal health, the sugar, it affects, uh, oh, we were talking about inflammation earlier. Mm -hmm. That's yes. what I was, where I was going. Like the inflammation, like sugar can cause huge inflammation problems for sure. I mean, right. I've heard that. Yeah, it's, it's part of the problem. It's yeah. definitely part of the inflammatory landscape that you live in. So it can be toxic stress and too much sugar and too much blue light and never having a break, like never having any silence or calm time outside, you know, all those things conglomerate and create this, this landscape that's sort of invisible to us and yet is affecting us in terrible oh, ways. Yeah. I mean, our disease rates are not good and they're not getting better. They're getting worse. And that's not where I want to go. No. <laughs> so, no. I'm not interested in that. <laughs> I love all the stuff we talked about. I could go on and on, but why don't yeah. we kind of wrap up with, okay. you know, I want to hear like where you're going in the future, you know, where you see this, um, how you want to help people down the road. Well, basically I, ever since I became an adult, I've been working on something having to do with health or wellness or, or parents or families, or, I mean, I definitely have a helping spirit and I doubt I'll ever get away from that. <laughs> I don't know that I want to. Um, I, I have a good time doing it. So yeah, I'm, right now I'm really kind of deep in the Primal Brain Project, doing all these things. I'll continue to do the podcast and we'll see how the book goes. And I, I hope that it helps people. That's all that I hope for that. And then coming up behind that, I have a couple of fun projects. So one of them is, um, I call it my feisty project. <laughs> so I, I have this, um, an acronym and it's called Face It, Evolution is Smarter Than You. And it's basically a kind of a quippy and quick way to teach about ancestral or evolutionary health. So it's the same idea. It's just not wholly focused on the brain. It'll be focused on health, but more on what do, what do we need as humans to be healthy and happy and to live long without chronic disease. So that's my feisty project. And then I have a really fun project I'm doing with my daughter. We are writing a book on childbirth for young moms. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. So that's going to be really fun. That was actually my entrance into the health world was becoming a childbirth educator and a lactation consultant a long time ago. So well, and it's fun to see like the younger generation is really getting back to more of that ancestral, you know, mm-hmm. way of childbirth more so than, I mean, a lot of us were born in hospitals that were really sterile and, you know, that, that type of thing. But I love to see well, that. They're looking at, you know, if you have a qualified midwife with you, your, your stats are better. You know, that's, that's just the statistical reality and that the United States has terrible infant and maternal statistics. And there's a reason. Yeah. And then talk about, I mean, I've heard like women get PTSD and stuff from really bad childbirth experiences and talk about going back to the brain thing and how that affects, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So. Right. It's a really important time in a woman's life. And so that's the other uh, project I'm going to be working on. That's awesome. That's great. Well, before we say goodbye, do you have any final parting words for our listeners? And then give us your contact information, how we can get in touch with all the things you're doing. Great. Uh, no, just thank you so much, Rebecca. I really appreciate uh, the time. And yeah, it's a good conversation. And generally, anytime we start talking about all these health things, we can go on and on. Yeah, I mean, it's got like it's alligator or not alligator. It's a crocodile, not crocodile. <laughs> it's, a, it's octopus legs. That's what, I meant, <laughs> That's you know? what it is. Yeah, yeah. totally. Or it could go off in a ton of different tangents, but totally. Yeah. So, so for listeners, the way to contact me is primalbrain.net. And then my author website is jenniferaguilar.net, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R-A-G-U-I-L-A-R.net. And it's the Primal Brain podcast. If you want to take a listen, you can hear um, me and my co-host Rio take on different topics there. And we'll be having a, a feisty podcast as well. And then this book on childbirth, probably towards the end of the year. But that's what I'm up to. And that's the easiest way to find me. And I'm also on Facebook and on Instagram. I'm not on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's awesome. I'm definitely going to be listening to your podcast. Like I said, this is like, I mean, you have one problem with it. And and we don't even realize how much our brain, like you said, controls everything. So it's such an important topic, I think, that people need to really get educated about that, that maybe we're not, we weren't seeing in the past, you know. Yeah, totally. And it's not that hard to take care of your brain. You don't have to be, you know, a brain surgeon, essentially, to to know what to do to take care of your brain. It's pretty simple. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you today. Awesome. Again, we've been speaking with ancestral health writer, speaker, educator, certified brain fitness coach, Jenny Aguilar. Be sure to check out her new book that's coming out, The Primal Brain Solution. (laughs) That's tongue tying. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to be sure to link all the information that we've discussed today on our website as well. But thank you so much, Jenny, for coming on and joining us and really helping to light our minds on fire on this really important topic of brain health. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. To learn more about Jenny Aguilar, go to our show notes at theluminousmind.net. Be sure to become a subscriber to our free email list and help us continue production of illuminating content by sponsoring us at patreon.com backslash theluminousmind to get exclusive content subscribe on youtube like us on facebook follow us on twitter google plus pinterest and now instagram to help us grow consider these easy ways tell your friends about us leave us a review share our content tell us how we can help you so together we can continue to light minds on fire and change the paradigm of education 